This is the Breaking Labels Podcast, and I'm Rosanna Gill. Each episode, we'll discuss labels that have confined the stories of my guests at one point or another and their journeys to thrive beyond them. Some labels are external, and others we put on ourselves as limiting beliefs. But regardless of where the label comes from, we're here to break it because we were meant for so much more. Okay, so this week I decided to do a solo episode leading into the month of March because for the month of March, I wanted to do something in honor of International Women's Day, which if you don't know is March 8th. And while that's fine, well, and good, I think we get a whole month, not just a day. So my idea for the month of March was that I would do 31 mini episodes every single day. Well, excuse me, 31 episodes for the month, one episode a day. I ain't doing 31 episodes every single day. That's crazy. Um, But I wanted to do that. And the idea being that they would be no longer than five minutes and they are going to be messages from women to either their younger versions of themselves or to a young woman in their life that if they can impart any wisdom in them, this is what they would say. And the reason this was so important to me is because at various points in my adult life, I have sought those messages for hope and to feel seen and to feel heard and to feel understood. And I want this entire month to do the same for other women. And, you know, the beauty of this is there is no one message that is going to resonate with everyone, but there is a message for everyone, if that makes sense. And the idea of having 31 completely diverse messages from women and just knowing that, you know, maybe all of them resonate on some level or maybe just praying that putting out each of those messages every day, it will be heard by a woman who needs to hear it or it will be shared from a friend who thinks, oh my God, Rosanna needs to hear this, or my friend Ashley needs to hear this, or my friend Sarah, whoever it may be, that you would download that day's episode, that little mini-sode of five minutes or less and think, wow. And I'm calling them soul shaker messages because I found out last month that the soundtrack for this podcast is actually called Soul Shaker. And it was so appropriate, so, so appropriate because at various points when I went looking for inspiration, when I went looking for inspirational messages, they would be soul shaking. The ones that I remembered, the ones that mattered were always soul shaking. And I thought, man, what a humongous opportunity to honor the soundtrack, yes, but to also more importantly, honor what those messages could do for people. And will one message transform your life? Not overnight, but it might be enough to plant a seed that you can then use as a foundation to grow and do more with. And, you know, in thinking about how I wanted to introduce this for the month of March, I was thinking about, you know, 
over the course of the last 10 years, what have been kind of signs that I was moving towards embracing these soul shaker messages, that I was finding confidence in myself, that I was finding my voice. And they were not, (laughs) they were not in typical ways or not what I think are typical ways. And it's funny because the more messages I heard about leaning into myself, embracing who I am as a woman and who I am as a person, the easier it became to be more forthright about myself and just to not care what people thought to the point where it didn't matter if somebody thought it was utterly goofy or ridiculous because it was me. And if you don't like it, great. Then we know right away that I'm not your girl. And that was big for me because I walked on eggshells for so much of my life. And I'm not going to get into the sad, sad part because there have been plenty of that already. You heard it on my very first episode of the podcast. You heard it when I talked about, you know, our, our family's struggle with mental illness. And more importantly than that was the fact that I shape shifted for so long of my life. I didn't like that I was so loud and goofy naturally. My 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 girlfriends who got all this the attention from boys weren't goofy. They were funny or demure, but they weren't goofy. You know, they knew how to channel it or how to kind of tone it down. And I did not. I was just straight up goofy for better or worse. And I thought, okay, well, maybe if I'm less goofy, then guys will like me. Side note not being goofy really didn't help that at all. Um, Maybe if I try to be a perfect size, I'll be more beautiful. Maybe if I try to fit myself into some other shape other than who I am, who God made me to be, I will be likable. I will be accepted. And Gaining that confidence in myself was a process. And the reason I wanted to talk about that today is because it's something that I didn't want or expect in all the years that I was trying to figure out how to break out of my own insecurities, how to become this higher level of self. And I don't mean that in a spiritual way. I just mean that in a way as like I could walk into a room and felt like I own it as opposed to walking into a room and feeling like I needed to go to a corner and watch because I couldn't be, you know, a part of what was going on. And I think it started with going away to college. And I know that might sound not that fantastic, but for somebody who was so terrified to be on her own and was so terrified like to to do anything without the, the security blanket of a friend, going to a college away from home where I knew no one was a baby step for me. Because of course, when you go to college, like, you know, you're, you're assigned a roommate, you know, you kind of make friends within this little bubble, but it was still important to me. That was still a necessary step. And it's something my dad really, really pushed for. And I understand why now, because he wanted me to have my own voice. He wanted me to have my own independence. That was never going to happen if I stayed going to school close to home 
and stayed being Mr. Gill's daughter. Cause that was, by the way, one of my nicknames in high school, little Gill or Mr. Gill's daughter. And I wanted very badly to be known by my first name, Rosanna, and to not be just his daughter, nothing wrong with being my dad's daughter. I just wanted my own identity. So going to school was important, um, away from home, away from people that I grew up with. Um, so I could kind of stake my own independence. Fast forward many, 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 many years later, when I relocated to Memphis, Tennessee for work, that was also big because I didn't know anybody there other, well, actually I'd, I'd met my boss once when I was finding a place to live there, but other than that, I didn't know anybody. You know, funny thing about that though, I thought I wouldn't know anybody, but then I moved there and found out that somebody I went to high school with lived there. And it was like, oh, well, couldn't be more random. And listen, that was a God thing. The fact that she and I were still like, that we lived there at the same time and were able to connect the way we did, that was God. That was just amazing. But, you know, here's the thing. She had a young child. I was traveling a lot with work. So even though I knew somebody, I really didn't have like a, a friend that I hung out with every weekend. So again, here I am on my own, not really knowing anybody and having to build a life and figure out you know, what I want to do. And when you don't have the, I hate to say this because I don't want it to be a negative way, but you don't have, again, the security blanket of having built-in friends or somebody that you can always call and say, hey, let's go do this. Let's get like, they can just be immediately available. You have to start figuring out what you want to do or what you don't want to do. Um, I worked out a lot, actually, <laughs> um, a whole lot. Um, I meal prepped a lot, but I don't know that I really, oh, I, I mean, I found a church. I got pretty involved with my church, fairly involved, and I started dating someone. There was an opportunity there for me to learn a lot about myself, a lot more about myself, and I don't regret the relationship, but... I do wish that I had maybe been okay not being in a relationship for a little while longer, um, especially considering the reason I left Jacksonville anyway was because I had fallen head over heels in love with someone, gotten ghosted on New Year's Eve, we broke up, and that's that was the impetus for me to put in my name in the ring to become a manager in New York City, which was my dream city. If you're wondering where this goes, obviously I did not get that territory. I was given Arkansas, Tennessee, North and South Carolina as a territory, not New York City. So I moved out to Memphis. Um, but again, going back to it took it took me getting dumped on my booty and getting my heart broken to make a move like that. But it was great because I known for so long I didn't want to stay in Florida. Um but it took me getting dumped to make it happen, to actually say, okay, this was painful enough that I'm willing to make a change now. Um, so go to Memphis. I was there for a year before I became the manager of New England while still living in Memphis. And then when I moved to New England, I knew my team, right, that I worked with, but I still didn't really have um, a friend base here at first. And I remember there was a friend, a kind of an acquaintance, and we were trying to plan our birth, birth, 
our, her birthday. And we, I, I, one of the options I found that was really affordable and might be fun was dancing. And I had always wanted to take dancing. I'd always wanted to learn how to salsa. I worked at a Cuban restaurant for six years, um, but I worked there as a waitress. So there really wasn't a whole lot of time for dancing. And I only knew the very, very basic steps and I wasn't very good at them. So the problem was that the only places that really offered that sort of dancing were like Arthur Murray Studios. And I couldn't afford that. So it was one of those things like, well, it'd be nice if one day I could take dancing lessons, but oh, well, not going to happen. And also I worked a lot of nights that when they had those lessons during the weeknight. So again, not a ha not happening. So I'm researching what to do for this friend and for her birthday. And I suggest going to this place. I found this place in Cambridge that had... Um, salsa lessons for 10 bucks and they have the lessons for an hour and then the place after that becomes like a regular salsa dance club and I thought well that's affordable I can afford 10 bucks and she didn't she ended up not wanting to do that she wanted to do something else but then I thought well I kind of want to do that so at I think 30 years old at that point I started taking dance lessons by myself and I think to some people that would mean nothing, like that's not impressive at all. And I'm not saying it is impressive, but when you know how terrified I was just to walk up to people at one point, just to not have my comfort blanket of my friends around me, me taking dance lessons by myself was kind of a big deal. That was, that was scary at first, but then I went. And, you know, sometimes maybe I had a drink when I first got there to give me a little liquid confidence to not care that I didn't know anybody. But the beauty of it being dance lessons was it didn't really matter whether you were there alone, like you were paired up with someone. There was inevitably going to be some guy there who's also a stag, or maybe he went with a couple. He was there. It didn't matter. There was somebody who was taking lessons. And so you'd be paired up and then they'd have the lessons from nine to 10. Then it would become a dance club at 10. I usually only lasted for like another hour because it was a little bit more difficult for me and a little scarier to be sitting like standing in, in a club by myself, not knowing anybody, just kind of like sitting there like a sitting duck or fresh meat, like waiting, like, oh, please ask me to dance or not. And I had nobody to talk to. So I would literally just be standing there. Here's the thing, ladies. And I know some, I remember telling one of my girlfriends and she was like, I could never. This is what they don't tell you. It's actually not that hard to be a single woman at a club. Even if it's a dance club where like it's very proper and somebody approaches you face to face and asks, would you like to dance? And if you're wondering, well, isn't that how it always works at a club? You, my friend, have not been to a lot of the clubs I went to in my early 20s where usually somebody asks you to dance by just popping up behind you. And your girlfriend had to look at you and give you the look as to whether he was cute or not. And if you, she gave you that look, you knew he was not cute and you had to like switch places or y'all had to do some maneuver so that you were no longer dancing with the man who just randomly walked up behind you. This sounds incredibly creepy now that I'm saying it, but that was pretty par for the course. And my mom is not going to be happy if she listens to this, that that's, that was the club scene, but it was, I'm sorry. So yeah, so going to a Cuban or a salsa club was actually very, it was very nice because again, nobody just pops up behind you to start dancing. Like they actually come to you and say, would you like to dance? Yes or no. And you can say yes, or you can say no, whatever. And it was 
nonetheless, that was still really scary at first, like just standing there by myself at a club, even though it's not like I ever had to stand more than like five or 10 minutes before somebody would ask me. Now, what was funny though, is because of the way I look, I think I got asked to dance a lot because they assumed I would know what I was doing. And that's funny because when you assume you, my dad used to always say, you make an ass out of you and me. And there were a lot of men in those days who asked me to dance because they thought I knew automatically that I've been dancing salsa since I was probably old enough to walk. And then I would start dancing with them. And you would see the look on their face. Like, why is she broken? Why does this Hispanic woman not know how to salsa? And I would, at some point they would ask like, oh, where are you from? And they'd be like, oh, South Carolina. And then you know, at some point we would get to the point in the conversation and they'd be like, oh my God, she's not Hispanic. She was lying to me. And I was not lying. You just assumed because of the way I look that I would know how to salsa. And I did not. I was still very beginner. Um, I digress. So that was a big step for me in, in kind of becoming more secure in myself. And again, just not caring. And it, Yes, for the first couple times I would get a drink, but there'd be other times where I didn't have a drink. It was just like, all right, I'm going to go in and get my dance on. As soon as I start to feel really uncomfortable or really frustrated with how bad I'm dancing, I can leave. I can just go to my car and it doesn't matter. I don't have to ask anybody. I don't have to wait for a girlfriend who's ready to go home. That was really nice because I could go home and go to sleep whenever I wanted. This is when I started to discover that I don't actually like staying out very late. I, I really like this whole nine to 11 thing at the club because that's really two hours. You don't really need to wear high heels for longer than that. I mean, really, especially if they're like cute ones. Some of them I can't even wear for 45 minutes, let alone two hours. So two hours at the, the salsa club was plenty for me. But the point is, as all this is happening, right, as I'm moving to different areas by myself, as I'm doing things like Memphis, I went out to eat by myself a few times. In Boston, I went dancing by myself a couple times, actually a lot more than a couple times. But every time I became a little bit more confident in just doing whatever the heck I wanted to do. And the really great thing about that was it was really nice to not have to ask for permission. And you might think, well, why would you have to ask for permission to go out to eat or ask for permission to go dancing? Well, because that's how I'd always done it. Like if I, if a friend didn't want to do it, then it was off the table because I didn't want to go do something by myself. And I hear women say this sort of thing all the time. Like, you know, oh, I could never go to a movie by myself or I could never go dancing by myself. And then my, it got to a point where I was like, if I want to do it, why do I care if nobody's going to do it with me? And when you start to think like that, again, you really don't care as much about what other people think. It gives you so much more freedom. Now. I don't remember exactly when I started carrying liquid stevia around with me in my purse. I really, I have no idea. Might have been, it was not in Jacksonville. I feel like it might have been, mm, I don't know. I do know I started carrying it with me to bars because I really liked tequila and soda with a lot of lime and I would add a little stevia to it, liquid stevia, mind you, because liquid stevia does not have the same aftertaste as powdered stevia. I would add that and it would be like a little limeade. And I, so I found out somewhere that, you know, 
silver tequila or tequila in general, but silver tequila is my preference was really low calorie. So it was also like kind of a, a vanity decision, but I started carrying liquid stevia in my purse. And you're probably thinking like, what in the heck does liquid stevia have to do with confidence? Well, it kind of became an out for me. So what I would do is I, I always had it in my purse and, you know, if I'm at a bar, I'm pulling out my liquid stevia, putting it in my drink. It's, it's in a little dropper bottle. So when you pull out a dropper bottle at a bar, you might want to know where this is going. It gets attention. Usually, especially if it's a drunk man, silly attention. Like, hey, what are you doing? You roofing yourself? Which, I mean, just, just ask yourself that for a second. Would I roofie myself? No. And I don't know, maybe they're just trying to start conversation. Still dumb question. Um, but it was good for me because I always felt so, so, so uncomfortable at bars. And it kind of gave me something to talk about that I didn't care about. Like talking about myself or trying to make small talk at a bar has never appealed to me. I never really understand the point of it because you can't really hear them anyway. And it's just, I mean unless we're actually going to have like a seriously deep conversation, I don't want to do small talk. I had to do that in my job, making cold calls all day long. I don't want to have to do that at the ball. Like, I just want to sit here, have my little drinky drink and watch people dance. Like, please don't come up talking to me about silly stuff. But the stevia was kind of an easy way for people to start conversations or for me to talk to people and not care. And it kind of became my shtick. Like I would have it with me at conventions I always had it just because I like to add it to coffee to my drinks whatever it may be but it kind of got me out of my shell a little bit more in social situations that I normally was hyper uncomfortable in and this was not intentional right but if there is anything that I could tell somebody who's like struggling like I did for years as to like how to get more confident or how to kind of take those baby steps out of your comfort zone it's fine little things like that. Okay, so it's probably not going to be liquid stevia drops for you that you carry around in your purse. By the way, that does get funny looks. If you are uncomfortable with the idea of funny looks, I would not recommend starting out with the stevia dropper bottle, okay? Sometimes my boyfriend still gets uncomfortable because he thinks he's worried. I think that people are going to think I am roofing myself or somebody else at the bar or at the restaurant. So maybe don't start with that. But you can find your equivalent. You can find something that you just don't care about. And when people ask you about it, you can talk about it freely because it doesn't feel like you have to reveal much about yourself. And it kind of allows you to kind of open up. And the more I had those conversations, the more I got comfortable joking and talking with people in a social situation, again, the easier it got and the less I cared about how I came across because you kind of start to wonder or not wonder, excuse me, you kind of start to realize that most people really don't care. You know, they're making conversation for that five minutes, but they're probably not going to remember it, especially if they're at the bar um, later that night or the next day. It just is what it is. And the funny thing is, I think a lot of times we get so caught up on these things where like our confidence and what are people going to think about us when a lot of times they just don't care as much as we think they do. The next thing that kind of, 
actually, I'm not sure which came first. I think it was the onesie. The onesie was next. And this was a joke between my best, best, best friend from home. We, I think we were at Walmart. Um, yes. Well, I mean, where else would we be on a Friday or Saturday, Saturday night in North Augusta, South Carolina, but at Walmart, that's just where you go. That's where everybody went after the football games, that or Sonic. Um, actually, that's not true. Apparently, a lot of people went to parties or house parties, but I, I didn't know about that. I didn't think people had parties. Apparently, they did. Um, me and my friend, we went to Walmart. And um, so anyway, a couple years ago, we were at a Walmart and we get onesies as jokes. I got a chicken onesie. We took pictures in them. And I didn't care if she posted them. Like, I'm having a good time with my friend. I kind of thought they were funny. It was funny to me. I don't know why. But also... I don't know if you have ever worn a onesie, but it is probably the most comfortable thing I have ever worn in my life. Like it is basically like wearing a hug. And I'm not really sure at what point I decided I wanted to start collecting onesies. Probably at some point I decided to run a race and oh, that was it. I think I decided to run a race in my chicken onesie because I just wanted something really warm to wear. And again, it was, I know this is so stupid, y'all, but it gave me something to do that I just didn't care what people thought. And I remember, you know, little jokes here and there about like, oh, your onesies, and it's so funny you wear those. But it was something that was so absurd and ridiculous that it kind of gave me a little bit more confidence. Like if I can post pictures of myself on social media in a onesie, like why would I care what people think if I'm doing something more important? And here's the other part of it. Going back to what I said earlier about being incredibly goofy. I have always been naturally goofy. Like that's just been me. Again, I laugh too loud to some people. (laughs) Um, I joke sometimes probably when it's not appropriate, whatever. That's just my personality. I get it from my daddy. And my mom is a very different one. She is very proper. She has very strong, she has a very strong sense of decorum that did not come very (laughs) naturally to me. And so I always felt like I had to kind of not be myself you know? And okay, fine. In professional situations, you don't need to let it all hang out. Right. But the more I got comfortable doing the goofy things that I wanted to do, even as a kid, but doing them as an adult, it just made it so much easier to take these little itty bitty lips, leaps of faith for myself, or again, just not care what people thought. And then my light up shoes. So I was with a coworker whose teenage son had just bought some light up shoes. Uh, they're called Starburys. And he was talking about them and he was like, oh, they're ridiculous, but they're so they're pretty cool, actually. And he showed me a picture and I was like, those are those are pretty awesome. I like those. And at this point, I am securely in my early 30s and I'm looking at these light up shoes that I never had anything like that as a kid, you know, like. We got my shoes from Payless and I guess maybe they had light up shoes, but that we, we, let's just say I didn't have that sort of thing. Okay. And it wasn't, wasn't in a, 
this is a sob story kind of thing, but I don't think I ever would have gotten light up shoes unless I had seen a cool kid wear them. That's really what it comes down to. I, it didn't matter whether I would have liked them when I was a kid. If it wasn't what everybody else was wearing, I wasn't going to get it. So adult me sees these light up shoes, thinks they're awesome and says, you know what? I think I could wear little boy shoes. Turns out I can. And why not spend 40 bucks on light up shoes? So I got some very obnoxiously purple light up shoes. And I loved, I still love actually those light up shoes. I haven't probably worn them in a year because COVID, what are you going to, I guess I could wear light up shoes around the house, but that seems a little silly. Um, I got these light up shoes and I would, I especially used to wear them for leg day at the gym. I loved wearing them for leg day because, you know, they're flat. Doesn't really matter. I just liked wearing them for leg day. And you know, what was really interesting to me is I thought that the people who would appreciate my light up shoes the most would be the kids that I taught in Sunday school at the time. Well, kids weren't impressed because they already had light up shoes. That was nothing new to them. They're like, yeah, okay, sure. You're an adult wearing the same shoes we do. Whoop-de-doo. You know who always commented on my light up shoes? Women in their 50s and 60s. Like, multiple women and then like people in their 70s or 80s would come up and would compliment my light up shoes and one woman who stands out in my mind is this woman she had to be in her 60s and she came up to me she goes I have to tell you I love your light up shoes I said, well, thank you. They're they're really fun. They plug in. I was telling her all about my light up shoes because I thought they were pretty awesome too. And she kind of got this look of sadness and she was like, I just don't, I don't think I could wear those. And I looked at her and I said, why not? If I'm wearing them and you like them, why can't you get them? And I said, who cares? Like, if you like them, you, you came up to me, you told me you like them, you can too. And her eyes kind of lit up and she was like, you don't, you don't think it's silly? And I said, well, obviously I don't think I'm, they're silly because I'm wearing them. But no, if you like them, who cares what anybody else says? And she got like this childlike happiness on her face. And she goes, I think, I think I'm going to order them. I might order them. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to show you the link right now. I'm going to show you right now where you go on and where you order them. We're doing this right there in the middle of the gym on you. And I showed them to her. And she ordered them right there in front of me. And another woman that I go to church with actually ordered some as well. And it was so cool to see people, namely women, embrace this silly, frivolous side of themselves. Because when do we do that? Me, I think it's much easier for me as a single woman without children to do that to some extent. But I wish we would all allow ourselves our versions of onesies and light up shoes. Like, you wouldn't think that that has such an impact on confidence, but it does. Because if you give yourself permission to buy the onesies, to buy your light up shoes, and it doesn't have to be those, it's whatever your equivalent is, you're giving yourself permission to show up however the heck you want to show up in the world. And listen, life is short. Who cares if you have light up shoes or onesies or whatever the ridiculous might be? Like at the end of the day, 
I don't think anybody is going to die and think, you know what I was, was offensive to me? That chick who ran a turkey trot and a chicken onesie. Or that chick who happily bopped around the gym in her purple light-up tennis shoes. Nobody cares. They ain't thinking about you on their deathbed, nor should you. I mean, is that what you're going to think about? Okay, on my deathbed, and I'm going to think about, man, I love that I wore my onesies and light up. Actually, I don't know. I might. I might actually be really proud of the fact that I embraced myself in all of my goofiness. But here's something else. And I don't, I'm not saying you should do this because of this. But the other part of it is, at various points in my life, I have dated people who would not have appreciated the onesies or the light-up shoes. They would have rolled their eyes at that. And they just would have thought, you are just, like, it's just you being goofy. Like, they would have tolerated it, but they wouldn't have embraced it. And at some point, I got to a point where I didn't want to be tolerated by anybody. It doesn't matter how goofy I am. It doesn't matter if I wear onesies or light up shoes. You do not get to have a significant role in my life. And all you do is tolerate the things that are inherently me. Are onesies and light up shoes inherently me? No, but my goofiness is. And if that is something that you are tolerating about me, then at some point, it is not going to be an issue of tolerance. You are probably going to be greatly annoyed by that aspect of me. So why would, why would I even want to be with you? And when I realized that sometimes me doing these little things kind of, I won't say irked, but it was one of those things where, and I, I remember seeing a guy I dated years ago and, and, I forget what it was that I did. It was, I don't remember if it was the light up shoes or the onesies. And he, let's just say there was a little bit of condescension, condescending, condescension. You know what I'm trying to say in his voice. And it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's, that's just you being you. Compared to my boyfriend bought me a onesie. Can I tell you this story? It is the cutest story ever. I think we went to a store. I saw a panda onesie. I liked said panda onesie, but I thought, oh, do I need another one? I don't know. And he and I were not together at this, I mean, we were dating, but we weren't together in the store. And I went off to look at something else. And I hear from behind me, babe, babe. And I turn and he's holding up that panda onesie. And he says, look at this. You gotta get this. And I started laughing, but I also almost started crying. And I know that sounds maybe really silly, but it was really nice <laughs> for somebody that I adore to adore this incredibly goofy side of me. And yes, I got the panda onesie. There is something so freeing about that. Not because I need that to be myself, but because, again, if you are going to hold any significant role in my life, I am not going to walk on eggshells to be around you. I am not going to hide a part of myself to be around you. And this is me giving a message to my younger self 
for the month of like, or like we're going to do for the month of March, that it's okay to be silly. It's okay to be goofy. The ones who don't like it ain't for you, boo-boo. So lean into it. Yeah. Some people are going to be annoyed by it. Yeah. Some people are going to roll their eyes. That's not important. What's important is that you give yourself permission to do what you want to do and be unapologetic about it. You want to take dance lessons? You should not have to wait till your partner, whoever your partner is, wants to take them with you. Go take the dance lessons by your dang self. They might actually decide at some point after watching you do it that, huh, if this is what she enjoys, maybe I need to get on board. Or they might never. Who cares? You go do it because you enjoy it. And it doesn't always have to be something goofy. I had a call earlier this evening with someone who is basically going to be working on my website for me. I am outsourcing it. I am paying someone to work on my website for me. Now, I have a WordPress website. These are supposed to be idiot-proof and really easy to do. I looked at that dang thing for like 20 minutes trying to figure out how to make it do what I wanted to do. And I finally decided, you know what? I don't need to prove this to myself anymore. And it was also me understanding where that desire to bootstrap and figure it all out for myself comes from. That came from a place of insecurity. That came from me being that little high schooler who hated that she was in all these IB classes, all these classes with these incredibly brilliant people. And she was the dumbest one in her class. Every single one of my classes. I just remember sitting there for most of my junior and senior year of high school with my mouth open thinking, why does everybody understand this except me? Why is everybody else nodding their heads like, oh yeah, yeah, this makes sense. And I don't get crap about this. I do not understand any of this. And I don't understand why I have to learn it. I don't get this. And I held on to that for so long. I held on to, I'm not the smart one. And that kind of became like this chip on my shoulder. Like when I started my first job and I was really bad at sales, I kind of took it as, well, that's just me. I'm always bad at things, but I figure it out. I figure it out. Like that was, that was my thing. Like, I'm not going to be the smartest, but man, am I going to be the hardest worker? Nobody's going to outwork me. Well, why do you always have to be the hardest worker? Why do you have to prove that you can outwork everybody? Why don't you do the thing that you're just naturally good at? Or if you're looking at a website and you decide, I really have no desire to take the time to figure this out. This is no longer a matter of whether or not I'm intelligent enough enough or not to. I just don't want to. And I can afford, thanks be to God, to pay somebody else to. So I'm gonna, because I don't need to prove to high school me anymore that I'm good enough or smart enough. I don't have to prove that I hustle harder than everybody else. I know what I'm good at. And I know what I don't care to be good at. Guess what? I don't be, I have no interest in knowing how to do a website. You know what I have an interest in? Figuring out how to be a better interviewer or conversationalist for the sake of this podcast. I want to figure out how to be better at helping other people be better 
I want to learn how to be a better storyteller. These are all natural talents I have that I would rather spend my time improving than proving to myself I'm smart enough to figure out a stupid website. And I'm just going to call it like it is. I've stayed in relationships longer than I should have, as opposed to just saying, is this even what I want? Do I even want this? And I know so many friends who I have seen in horrible relationships. And at some point I started to wonder, do you even like this person anymore? Or are you just addicted to the conquest of this person? Are you just addicted to making this work to prove that you can? Or, you know, this might offend some people, but are you getting married because you actually want to or because you think it's what you're supposed to? Do you even care about that? I look at my mom sometimes and I know I'm meant to be here. Like, I don't think I'm an accident. God wanted me to be here, okay? But I do think that part of the reason my mom had me was because she felt like that's what she was supposed to do as a woman. And as a married woman in the 80s, I don't think that she felt confident that she could just be a career woman if that's what she wanted. And the beautiful thing is that I'm here and I don't have to make that choice if I don't want to. I don't have to have children. Does that mean that there have not been plenty of people over the years who have asked, no kids, what's wrong with you? Or not married? Huh, why is that? What's wrong with you? Which I'm always very intrigued by that question. What's wrong with me? When sometimes I want to say, I don't know, you look pretty miserable in your marriage. What's wrong with you? Why does something have to be wrong with me? Because I'm not married. And again, this comes from many years of stepping out gradually to build my confidence where I could say, I don't have to do anything just because somebody thinks that's what I should do or to prove my worth to somebody. So I say all that to ask you, my lovely, lovely listener, what is your onesie? What are your light-up shoes? What are the dance lessons that you're going to take this year? For no other reason than you want to. What example are you going to set for whatever young woman is in your life who even if she doesn't talk to you, I promise you is watching? What are you going to tell her? Fit into what everybody else tells you you should? Or just lean into who you are, girl. Because the ones who are meant for you are going to embrace it. They're going to buy light up shoes too. Or if nothing else, they're going to smile and say, you look really good in those light up shoes. Here's another one. I can't wait to hear your stories. Send them in. If you have a five-minute message or less that you want to share with your younger self or a woman in your life, email it to rosanna at breakinglabels.com. You can send me a voice memo. If you want your voice to actually be sent out during the podcast, mini-sode, or you can email me what you want me to read for you. 
And if you want to do it anonymously, you can do that too. There's no judgment here. You don't have to do it and put your name on it. But just imagine what message you would send to your younger self or a young woman in your life that somebody you may not even know and you may never meet could also benefit or could stand to hear. Talk to you next week. Hey, before you leave, if you enjoyed this episode or you know of someone who could stand to hear this message, please share it with them. And I would be ever so grateful if you would write a review on iTunes or Spotify or whatever platform you use to listen to this podcast. I much appreciate the stars reviews, but if you could write one, I, again, would be very, very appreciative. And with that, have a great week.